Take your Bible, if you would, and join me in, we'll begin in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, but we're going to make our way over to Exodus just briefly tonight. We don't have a, an in-depth verse-by-verse uh, exposition necessarily tonight as much as I have uh, kind of an overview, part, uh, part, pre, part uh, prelude, okay? It's not quite the overview that we're going to do through Exodus as uh, I'm still working on some pieces of that. But I do want you to see some things tonight where we find the Lord Jesus Christ woven throughout Exodus. And so you're in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, and uh, for a few moments we'll look at some verses in Exodus that were given for our example after we read this verse. And then if I get done in enough time tonight, what I'd like to do is take a few moments to um, just reiterate the Bible Institute that we have and answer any questions you might have about that. And then to also give an encouragement to those who are enrolled in classes and different things that have outstanding assignments to uh, kind of give you a little bit of a, a year-end goal to work on getting all that stuff done before the year can. So that will help me out as I administer things. First Corinthians chapter number 10, I begin reading in verse number 1 where the Apostle Paul records these words. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant. How that all our fathers were under the cloud, and all passed through the sea. So what is he referring to there? Being under the cloud and passing through the sea. What is Paul referencing? Exodus. And all were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And did all eat of the same spiritual meat. When was that? In the wandering time, right? And all did drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. That rock was Christ. So, did Paul find Christ in the book of Exodus? He sure did. And we can too. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters. Does that call to mind any section of Exodus, particularly chapter number 20 and the verses that say, Thou shalt have no other gods before me? Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. It's not very far from Exodus chapter number 20 to chapter number 32 that you have the incident of the golden calf. And they're already speaking idolatry. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed. And fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Twenty three thousand people in one day. You read about some of the wars that our country's been when it gets into the tens of the thousands of numbers. We're talking about tragic moments in our nation's history. This is a tragic moment in Israel's history. 23,000 people slain because of their fornication. And they went against the word of the Lord. Neither let us tempt, and what's the key word? Christ. Well, Jesus hadn't even been born yet. We're just now celebrating Christmas. 
that Jesus isn't going to be born for thousands of years after the Exodus. How could they be tempting Christ? 1 Corinthians 10 is where we started, but we're going to go to Exodus. 1 Corinthians 10, I'm reading in verse number 9, neither let us tempt Christ. And so Christ was there leading them through all of their journeys as they came uh, out of Egypt and they tempted him. They were destroyed of serpents. Remember, Jesus even referenced that story himself in John chapter 3 when he was discoursing with Nicodemus. He said, even as the serpent, Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must I, the Son of Man, be lifted up. And if I be lifted up, I will draw him in unto me, he says in John chapter number 12 as well. And so the serpents look and live. All who looked upon that brass serpent that Moses fashioned, uh, they were able to escape death. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Boy, it's like destruction after destruction, heartache after heartache. As they were just delivered out of Egypt, and now they face all these consequences because of their unbelief and their idolatry and fornication, all the sin that they have in their midst. Destroyed of the destroyer. Verse 11, read that out loud with me if you would. Now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that tempteth be standing. Take heed lest he fall. There is no temptation taking you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to exodus, escape, that you may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Sounds a lot like how Paul or John closed his letter, doesn't it? My little children, flee from idolatry. Avoid it like a plague. Why? Because it brings heartache and sorrow in the end and destruction. So anytime we put anything before God in our life, we can expect dire consequences. There's two ways, as Jesus taught. And if we're on the narrow way, we find life. And there's few there be that find that way. But there's a broad way that leads to destruction, and we'll see that. So with that in mind, and what Paul encourages us with, to find Christ in the wanderings, to find Christ in the Exodus account. Before we dive into a full-blown exposition of uh, the book of Exodus, verse by verse, that is, uh, looking as we've done all the way from Genesis, I want to take this moment tonight to just cover some passages where I think it's adamantly clear, abundantly clear, that we cannot help, if we have any spiritual discernment about us whatsoever, we cannot help but see Jesus Christ, our Savior, woven throughout the book of Exodus. And so, in numerous places, I do see our Lord Jesus Christ prefigured here in this book of Moses, the second book of Moses called Exodus. And so we turn back there and we look at Exodus chapter 1 and verse number 1, and we see something that I draw to your attention again that I have noted before with you in a previous message. The very first word of the book, the second book of Moses called Exodus, the very first word is now. That's a good translation. It's a conjunction. 
you could render it and, but it wouldn't give it the full force of what we need in English. Because the word now speaks of sequential events. It's the same word that's translated in Genesis chapter 3 in verse number 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. Now these are the names. And so we have the name Exodus in our Bible here that um, I guess the scholars would tell you that it, it was taken from the Greek Septuagint title for the second book of Moses, and that is Exodus or um, or escape, if you will, of uh, uh, going out. The Hebrew title for the book, you know, Hebrews always title their books after the first uh, line and the first words of the book. And so now these are the what? The names. These are the names. So now we get to connect back to Genesis, don't we? We see the full context. Let's remind ourselves, Genesis has a, a break between chapters 11 and 12. Chapters 1 through 11 of Genesis cover the creation account all the way up to the dividing of the nations. That takes us all the way through the, through the creation, the, the corruption, and the, the flood, the worldwide flood, all the way up to the nations being divided. The Tower of Babel leads us up to a man named Abraham, the first 11 chapters. Then chapter 12. We find this man, Abram, Abram, because his name hadn't been changed up to that point by the Lord, was called out of Ur of the Chaldees. And he's a sojourner, a pilgrim, all his life. And he's promised by God the Abrahamic covenant. The very first covenant in the Bible was not the Abrahamic covenant. The very first covenant in the Bible was the Noahic covenant. That God gave the sign of the rainbow, the token that he would no longer... He would not ever again flood the earth and destroy it with a worldwide flood. No, the next judgment will come with fire and brimstone according to the apocalypse and the revelation. And so the Abrahamic covenant came in Genesis chapter number 12 and the promise of the land, the seed, and the blessing. So what did Genesis do from that point? After we began at creation and looked at Abraham, we had four major patriarchs that we studied. Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, the father of faith. Isaac, his son of promise, the miracle child, the one that uh, should have never even been born according to man's standards because Sarah was barren. And Abraham and Sarah could naturally. Here's the son of promise, 100 years old, a century old, and this man has a child through his wife. Uh, that's, uh, I don't know about you, but we've been out of diapers for a while, and it's always an adjustment to go back in diapers 24-7 around the house. And, uh, you know, Weston and Gracie, we've, we've done that here for the past uh, half a year or so. But, uh, you know, I'm proud of them. They're doing great. You know, one of these days we're going to be out of diapers with them, and, and that's how kids do. They grow and they learn. But can you imagine being 100? 100 and having to go back to diapers? No. I'm just kind of being funny with that. Abraham had a son named Isaac, a son of promise. He also had a son named Ishmael. He had other sons through Keturah. After Sarah died, he married again, and God wrote a new chapter in his life, and he had many sons. But the one son that the promise would continue through would be Isaac, the son of promise. And through Isaac, we have a type of Christ. We have a picture of Jesus Christ in that day when he was on the altar, and Abraham had his hand raised, and the Lord stayed his hand. There was a ram in the thicket. So we see the picture of Jesus Christ through Isaac. Isaac would go on then to have two sons, Esau and Jacob. Jacob the younger would overpower the elder, 
And so the prophecy was given to Rebekah while she was giving birth to Jacob and Esau that the promise would pass to the younger son. And through the course of events, we trace the line of Jacob. And that's the third major patriarch of the book of Genesis. And we followed his life, his wanderings, as he fled from home up to Haran and went and lived with Uncle Laban for a while and worked for him for a couple of decades. And then we see he got married. Uh, married, we thought, Rachel. But turns out old Laban was a trickster. And Well, the custom in their day was to give the eldest first, and Leah happened to be the eldest. And so you have the consummation of their marriage between Jacob and Leah. And from Jacob and Leah and Jacob and Rachel and their handmaids, you're going to have who will become the 12 tribes of Israel. So what's the Bible doing? Drawing our attention to one nation in particular out of the entire world of nations. Because there's other nations in their day. Abraham went down to Egypt in Genesis chapter 12, and there was a famine in his day, and Isaac faced a famine in his day, and Jacob faced a famine in his day, and, and that leads us to the sons of Jacob. And the last patriarch we studied in the book of Genesis was through the life of Joseph, but it was under it was under the Toledoth of Jacob. And Jacob was that last final uh, prominent character that we studied. The promise for Messiah would pass not through Joseph, but it would pass down through Judah, who is a picture of Christ again. Uh, we see Jesus Christ throughout the book of Genesis, uh, the angel, if you want to call him that, the man that Jacob wrestled with, uh, through that night when he said, I've seen God face to face. There are times when we can look through the book of Genesis and see the Lord Jesus Christ. Abraham, he, uh, he had Melchizedek, and he worshiped Melchizedek, gave him tithes of all. So as we watch for Jesus Christ, we see him throughout Moses' writings. Moses wrote of Jesus Christ. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 5. If you're reading Moses and the prophets, <laughs> you should see me. I'm paraphrasing. Remember what he did to those disciples, did with those disciples on the road to Emmaus? Beginning where? At Matthew's Christmas account. No, that's not what our Bible says. It says, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them. Their eyes were opened, and they beheld in their Bible, and they saw, this is Messiah. Much like Philip would do with that eunuch. As he's reading Isaiah, and he doesn't understand. Understand this now what thou reads. How can I, except the man guide me? We took Isaiah 53, that passage of the suffering servant, and preached unto him Jesus. And so as Paul looks at the book of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, he says, Christ is there. They tempted Christ in the wilderness. And Christ is seen in this blessed book, numerous places. And we can see glimpses of Jesus in Exodus. As it opens, we see it continues on. Now these are the names. What names? What Moses, what's going on here? Remember, the promise was made to Abraham that his descendants would be uh, would be in Egypt. It was prophesied 400 years. And if you trace the dates back, don't get confused with the numbers. Some uh, some have a difficulty understanding the 430 that's, that Stephen references and Paul references in Galatians and the 400 that's said elsewhere. There's no contradiction in the Bible. If you look at the time when Abraham was called out of Ur, that's 430 years. To the time when the promise was made, that's 400 years. And so there's no contradiction there. We can see his descendants would be, uh, would be persecuted eventually for that 400 years to be fulfilled. When did they go down to Egypt? It was according to the promise of God through famine. 
he moved Jacob, and Jacob and his family moved down to Egypt because Joseph and that sovereign uh, God story that we had in the life of Joseph, the providential moving hand of God. His brothers meant what they did for evil by throwing them in the pit and selling them to slavery, but God meant it for good to save many people alive. And by the time we get through Exodus chapter number one, we see so many fulfilled prophecies already that God had given to Abraham. And it just moves one right after the other. And so pay attention to the story of Exodus as it is a continuation of Genesis. If we turn to the end of the book of Exodus, there's 40 chapters in Exodus. By the time you finish uh, Genesis and Exodus, you will have covered 90 chapters in your Bible. And so this is no small endeavor. But look at the book of Gen uh, Leviticus, uh, and that's Leviticus 1.1. If you have a Cambridge uh, Cameo Bible, it's on page 108 if you need that. But after Exodus chapter number 40, in verse number 38, you read these words. And... The Lord called unto Moses and spake unto him out of the tabernacle. So what is Leviticus doing? The same thing Exodus did. Well, let's turn to the, to the end of Leviticus. How many chapters are there in Leviticus? There's 27 chapters in Leviticus. So we turn to Leviticus 27 verse 34. And the next words that we read, Numbers chapter 1 and verse number 1. Maybe you want to circle it this time. Make a note of it so that you remember. Draw an arrow back to Leviticus. It says, And the Lord spake unto Moses in the wilderness of Sinai. And. It's the same book. Well, let's do one more, shall we? <laughs> I think you know where I'm going by now. If you look at the end of the book of Numbers, how many chapters do we have in the book of Numbers? We have 36 chapters. Numbers 36, 13 ends, and then we read these words in Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse number 1. These be the words which Moses spake unto all Israel on this side of Jordan. These. That's a continuation. So the first five books of the Bible is really one book. And Moses wrote these five books. That's what I believe. And I do take that position on it. I'll take that GE. Theory. I think that's a liberal perspective on, on uh, text criticism and those kind of things. I just take it that Moses wrote these books because my Bible says it's the second book of Moses called Exodus, and that's good enough for me. Amen. But we can see glimpses of Jesus in Exodus, and I want you to I want you to be able to see Jesus in your Old Testament, particularly in some of these passages we're going to look at. So the question I would pose to you tonight in our brief study is what pictures can we see of Jesus throughout Exodus? What pictures do we find of him there? Let's look at just a few. And I won't take too much of your time here tonight, but the first that I would draw your attention to is in Exodus chapter number 12. Exodus chapter number 12. You see, the book of Exodus moves through the, the time when there will arise a Pharaoh that knew not Joseph. A new king's on the throne, and he doesn't know Joseph. You know, Joseph was a hero back in Genesis 50. We, we closed him. Joseph was in a coffin by that time, and he said, don't leave my bones in Egypt. Take them out. You don't want to be buried in Egypt. He's the hero of Genesis, right? <coughs> and we see the saga of the life of Joseph. By the time Exodus chapter 1 opens up, Joseph is who? He's no longer the hero he was in Genesis, because a lot of time has passed. 
And you had 70 souls, if you count them, that came out of, out of Canaan with Jacob. By the time you come to Exodus, we're talking about millions. There was a, there was a scholar that used to work for <coughs> National Geographic. He was an archaeologist, and, and uh, he, would, he went to Egypt, and he went to the area where those uh, treasure cities would be, and he brought back a, a brick that was made without straw that attested to the time that the Bible refers to here. And he showed that to his class, and, oh, you know, wow, the Bible you know, validates the Scripture. Of course it does. You know, anything we dig out is going to validate the Bible. But it, interestingly enough, and I don't remember the exact number he gave, but through his research and his study and his archaeological developments and things that he had done, uh, he came up with a number that was about 2 million-something people, from 70 to 2 million-plus. That's, you know, that's a big number. So whether you have 2 million or not, I'm not going to be dogmatic about those kind of numbers and the kind of census, but I think there's good precedent to say, I think that was a fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. Two million is a lot to be going out. You can see the concerns that Pharaoh has, has, don't you? I mean, here, if it's a Hyksos king, like some of those uh, scholars have said, the Hyksos empire arose, and that might explain why the Pharaoh knew not Joseph. Uh, I don't know. I, I wasn't there. I can't tell you all the history that happened, but I do know that there was a Pharaoh that arose that knew not Joseph. The Bible's clear on that. However, that worked out. Now you have this king, and he's looking at these millions of people. I mean, that's like... I mean, take Metro Denver, not the city itself. Take Metro Denver six years ago. And that's Israel. Does that put it in perspective? Put them all right in Goshen. On the Nile. Right there by Memphis. And two million people. So you can see this king's going, boy, uh, I've got some political maneuvering to do here if I'm going to keep these people around because... If we have a nation that comes against us, they join the other side, we're going to be in big, big trouble. As you can see, they, they put them to tribute. And they persecuted Israel. What pictures do we see? As Israel was getting ready to come out of Egypt, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. So what did God do? He raised up a deliverer. Moses thought he would help God out. He went through things a little bit too soon, didn't he? Forty years old, he thinks now's the time. I'm going to take this thing by the horns. And we're going to get God's people out, my people, and they're going to listen to me. Well, it didn't work out that way. Moses, for forty years, stays on the backside of the desert, raising sheep. At the end of that forty years, God comes to him in the burning bush. He says, "Now's the time, Moses. You were right. You're the man, but the timing was totally off." And so Moses goes back and forth with God on. That call and says, no, I can't do it. And send Aaron, you know, let him go. And this, so Aaron winds up being the mouthpiece for Moses. when We know he could speak just as well as anybody could in that day. But God says, all right, have it your way. Nevertheless, Moses says, who am I going to tell him to send me? If you want me to go in front of who? I haven't seen Pharaoh in 40 years. Not since I was, uh, you know, fleeing for fear of everything that was happening yeah, he killed an Egyptian and buried him in the sand. Remember all that? So 40 years on the backside of the desert. Now God says, go right back to where you came from. Talk to the highest in the land. Go to the king that's there, the Pharaoh, and tell him, let my people go. What? <laughs> How crazy is that? I don't think I would want to have to do that with the President of the United States of America. <laughs> if God said, 
go talk to him and tell him to do this. I'm going to stand before that man with all due respect, sir, and I'm going to say, God told me to tell you this, and he's going to say, what? Who do you think you are? Well, let me throw my stick down, see if it turns into a snake. I don't know, it wouldn't do that for me. But that's what, those were some of the signs that God gave to verify that he was, in fact, speaking through Moses, Pharaoh. Pharaoh was hard-hearted and stiff-necked, and he wouldn't let people, uh, he wouldn't let God's people go. So what happened? There's the ten plagues that came. Ten plagues, ten commandments. I don't know if there's a connection yet. I'm still studying on that, but that stood out in my mind. Ten plagues, ten commandments. I don't know. We'll get to that when we study it out. Ten plagues. And each one gets worse and worse as they unfold, do they not? And what a time, as God reveals his power through these plagues. And finally, the last straw comes when Pharaoh hardens his heart that last time. Now, you know, before we get our mind uh, going on how, how, how horrible it is for God to do something like kill all the firstborn in the land, remember, God was displaying his strong arm. And who threw the first punch, so to speak? Was it God? No, because the whole reason we have Moses is because Pharaoh decided he would make a, a law or he would make a command that the midwives who were delivering the Hebrew children would have to put the male children to death. Ooh, now I'm seeing a little bit more of why God was dealing with Pharaoh in the way he was. Be sure your sin will find you out. And this man was so haughty and lifted up with pride that he thought he was God himself. And God said, I don't think so. Notice, uh, you know, the midwives, they didn't necessarily disobey the command that he gave either. Because the command was, the, the Hebrew boys, you need to throw them in the Nile. Well, they did. She just made sure there was a basket under him. And that he was going to float right into the bulrushes where... You know, he wasn't going to get eaten by a crocodile or something like that until somebody could hopefully find him. And guess who found it? Pharaoh's daughter. Doesn't get any better than that. So you see even Providence working through Moses and his very life being born. So the plagues come. You have God trying to reach Pharaoh, giving him every opportunity. And Pharaoh hardening his heart and hardening his heart. And then comes to the end where he finally says, okay, you guys can go, and then he says, no, he changes his mind, and then he says, you're not going anywhere. That was it. And the last plague was the worst of all. The death of all the firstborn of the land, with one exception. What was that exception? They had to take a lamb, and they had to slay that lamb, and take the blood of that lamb, and put it on the doorposts of their house. And if they did that, the angel of death would pass over. That means it wouldn't visit that house because of the blood. What a picture. So where, where do we see these pictures of our Savior? What pictures do we, do we see of Jesus Christ in our priest? We see a picture of Jesus Christ in the Exodus land. You're in Exodus chapter 12. Look with me at verse number 21. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said unto them, Draw out and take you a lamb according to your families, and kill the Passover. And ye shall take a bunch of hyssop, and dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and strike the lentil and the two posts 
two side posts with the blood that's in the basin. And none of you shall go out at, at the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through. Who's coming through? Jehovah. It's all caps in my Bible. The Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. When he seeth the blood upon the lintel and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer, he'll not permit, he'll not allow the destroyer to come in unto your houses to smite you. And you shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever. We see Exodus describes for us that Passover lamb. But Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Remember the testimony of John the Baptist? And even Paul tells us in plain words, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. And so what a picture. We see Christ as the Passover Lamb. So that's the first picture that I would draw your attention to. We read John chapter 1. You want to turn over and Set your eyes on these verses, it might do well. John chapter number 1, and verse number 29. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold who? And what does this Lamb of God do? Taketh away the sin of the world. And verse number... 35, we read these words. Again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples, looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, what? Behold, the Lamb of God. Now the Lamb had to be spotless. It had to be without blemish. And our Savior lived a sinless life. What pictures do we find of Jesus in Exodus? We see him in the Passover Lamb. Secondly, we see that Exodus describes the manna that was given from heaven. Uh, if you look from Exodus chapter 12 and turn ahead to chapter number 16, we see as they go on their journey through this chapter, they took their journey from Elam, all the congregation, the children of Israel came into the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after their departing out of the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of the children of Israel, they were so happy to be there. I'm kidding. It doesn't say that. It says they murmured. Wait a minute. How long was this? Look at that. This was the 15th day of the second month after their departing out of the land. It's only been 15 days and two months since they just saw all that water as walls and walked through. Two months and 15 days. What happened two months and 15 days ago? I don't know, but it's pretty close to when we were just in the park having church. <laughs> what are we in December? Uh, that would have been, you know, October, mid-September. We how soon we forget? How soon we forget? Two months, and they're already going. Why don't we have to leave Egypt? Leeks and onions. Yeah, sounds lovely. <laughs> Nobody care for onions. Maybe you like onions when you put them in the rod. Leeks and onions. You know, it's kind of like, Ugh. so that's what you're lusting after. We want manna. We want meat. You know, and so the manna wasn't enough. But here, you know, it continues on. and God had provided for them. Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots. Oh, just give us flesh. And we did eat bread to the full. 
For we have brought us, you have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now, playing that up, but then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, okay, here's what I'm going to do, Moses. I hear them. They're grumbling. They've already forgotten all that I've done for them. I will rain bread from heaven for you. Oh, but it's not flesh pots. It's not meat. It's man. Hey, it's going to be okay. Moses, I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to take, I'm going to make sure that they're going to have everything they need every day. People will go out and they'll gather a certain rate every day that I may prove them, test them. Note that he's testing whether they will walk in my law or no. I'm going to guess that it's going to be the no. In fact, it isn't. And it shall come to pass that on the sixth day they shall prepare that which they bring in. It shall be twice as much as they gather daily. Why on the sixth day? Because the Sabbath is going to coincide with the law that he's about to give on honoring the Sabbath. And so the rest they will come. And so from Friday through Saturday, there will be no manna. And the manna they gather on Friday before 6 p.m. in the evening. When Saturday starts, all that double manna, it won't spoil. But if they kept it over any other day of the week, figure that one out. I mean, how can you logically, scientifically explain any of that? Okay, from Monday to Tuesday, it goes bad. It grows worms and it stinks. But from Friday to Saturday, you know, I can keep it all the way till Sunday morning before I get worms in there. I don't know. I mean, you, you can't because God did it. And this was given by him in this way. I know that's quite a picture, isn't it? That's not rice. It's moving. Oh. Anyway, okay, don't let your manna sit around too long. You've got to gather it fresh every day. There's an application, too, by the way, in your Bible reading time as a Christian. You go to the bread, you've got to gather it. There's some work to do. You've got to go get it. But if you are trying to live today on yesterday's manna and it's not the Sabbath, guess what? I wonder why you might be a little spiritually famished. So this is manna from heaven. Now, where do we see a picture of Jesus in this? In John chapter number 6. Turn over there and we read the words of our Savior in this hard sermon that he preached. And your fathers ate man in the wilderness and are dead. That's what he said. Yep, yep. But, what is his testimony? John chapter number 6 and verse number 32. Oh, let's back up so we get the sign. Jesus answered and said unto them in verse 29, this is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he hath sent. So what's the work of God? Believe. What do you have to do to get to heaven? Believe. What's the work? Okay, so they said there, therefore in him, What sign showest thou then, that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Hmm. Our fathers did eat man in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. What are you going to do? That's what he did for them. What are you going to do? Well, Forget the fact that I just fed 5,000 plus of you, probably 20,000, you know, men, women, and children all together. Forget the fact that you just ate, you know, and we had like 12 baskets of bread and how many fish left over. Forget about all of that. What are you going to do? Oh, they got manna. Then Jesus said unto them, Barely, barely. That's a double amen. As strong as Jesus can say it. I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven. You are looking at the wrong source. 
but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. We're ready, we're hungry, we want it. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. So who is our manna from heaven? Who is our bread of life? Where do we see Jesus in Exodus? What picture do we see of Jesus in Exodus? He that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Now think that through. They just ate the fish and the loaves. And it won't be long, maybe four or six hours later, their tummy's going to be rumbling again. And Jesus is saying, if you'll just believe, your tummy won't rumble anymore. What does he mean? Does he mean physically you won't hunger anymore? No, it means that deep down thirsting of your soul that void, that vacuum that you have in you, that you're trying to fill that hole, and nothing ever satisfies. I know that hole. I lived with it for 14 years of my life. And I could never find anything to fill it until I came to Jesus. And I found the truth of what he says right here. That if you don't have spiritual eyes, you won't see this. You'll miss it just like they did. He tells them, you'll never hunger, you'll never thirst again. Well, I'm sure they're going to eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner the next day, so he can't mean physical food, right? has to be spiritual food. But I say unto you that ye also have seen me, and this is sad, you believe not. What kept the children of Israel wandering for 40 years until their carcasses fell in the wilderness? Unbelief. What drove this crowd away from Jesus this day? Because they ate of the bread and was filled, and he started saying these hard things? They believed not. They believe it is shallow. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. He'll never turn us away. We'll come by faith. For I came down from heaven. Came down from heaven. Yeah, because he wasn't born of a man. He was born of the Virgin Mary, conceived of the Holy Ghost. He came from heaven. I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. This is the will of him that sent me. Everyone which seeth the Son, believeth on him, may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And then the Jews did what? Sounds like Exodus did. Boom! Egypt! Flesh pots, leeks, and onions. They left him that day. They went away from him because they could not receive his words. They couldn't digest the man. He's the bread of life. So Christ is the living bread that came down from heaven. What picture do we see of Jesus in Exodus? We see him in the Passover lamb. We see him in the manna that came down from heaven. Thirdly, Exodus <coughs> describes water from the rock. This is seen in Exodus 17, verses 1 through 7. You know this account, it's ama it amazes me. Right after chapter 16, when he gives them manna, and, you know, and they, they've just, in chapter 15, sung the song of Moses because they've been delivered from Egypt and everything's fine and well, and then they come to chapter number 17. By that time, they're already, they're already done in. You see the, the water from the rock in chapter 17, verses 
1 through 7. All the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord and pitched in Rephidim. There was no water for the people to drink. Why would the Lord lead them to a place like that? Well, he just said he was going to prove them with the manna. Wherefore did the people chide with Moses? Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. Moses, it's all your fault. Moses isn't calling the shots. He's just the go between between them and God. And Moses said unto them, Why chide you with me? Wherefore do you tempt the Lord? Remember Paul's words? They tempted him in the wilderness. He draws it right from this passage. And the people thirsted there for water, and the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? First it was hunger. We're going to die of hunger. Now we're going to die of thirst. What a journey. What a great time it would have been, you know, to be Moses there with all these people. And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, Notice he just goes right to God. He knows where to go. And he says, What, what am I going to do with these people? Lord, you're the one that pulled me out of Midian. I mean, I, was, I had it made up there. I just I could be by myself as much as I needed to be. I could just, you know, shepherd these sheep. And now I've got these people. What in the world am I supposed to do with these people? Poor Moses. My heart goes out to him. Baby almost ready to stone me. Hey, look, I'm not going to be around much longer if you don't do something here, Lord. The Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people. Take with thee the elders of Israel and thy rod. Which rod? The same one he smote the waters with, and they parted. The same one that he's going to hold up when Amalek comes and ambushes them. The same rod. That's a symbol of the power of God. So take the rod, and uh, wherewith thou smotest the river, take in thine hand and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb. Thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. Oh, okay, I'll just go find a rock and hit it, and boom, there's water. Sounds good. How in the world does that happen? God did. God did. Where, what picture? Do we see Jesus in this? We see a picture of Jesus in this in verse number 7. Uh, verse number 6, it says, And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah, because the children of Is the, ch the chiding of the children of Israel, because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Has he left us? Or is he still with us? If we turn over and read John chapter number 4, we see a picture of Jesus. Where do we see Christ in Exodus? We see him in the Passover lamb. We see him in the bread that came down from heaven. John chapter 4 and verse number 10, I read these words. We see Jesus in the water that came from the rock. John chapter number 4 and verse number 10. Jesus answered and said unto her, the woman of Samaria, that he must needs go through Samaria to go witness to Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest ask of him, and he would have given thee living water. And so was our rock smitten. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. By his stripes we are healed. And that rock was smitten. Now, Moses messed up the second picture, didn't he? He was supposed to speak to it the second time, and he didn't. That's what barred him from going into the promised land. Don't forget that part. Because Christ was once smitten, and it ruined the picture. Now we speak because of the fellowship and the way that's been opened. We, can, we keep reading, and we turn to the end of John chapter 4, verse 37 and 38. We read these words. 
Herein is that saying true, one soweth another reapeth, reapeth. I sent you to reap that, that whereon you bestowed no labor. Other men labored, you're entered into their labors. Who is this? This is the Messiah. This woman recognized him for who he was. And we see one plants and other waters. God gives the increase. The Lord has meat to eat that they know not of. We turn over to John 7 and we see a continuation of this thought where we see Jesus as that water that came from the rock. In verse 37 here, where I meant to go before, in the last day and the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, do you see the connection of believing on Christ there by faith? He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. What's he referring to? John gives us a clarification in parentheses. He's talking about the spirit. Because the spirit had been come in that manner. Where do we see a picture of Jesus Christ in the Passover lamb? In the bread that came down from heaven. In the rock that was smitten and bringing forth water. What a picture of our Savior. Christ is the living water. Fourthly, uh, Exodus describes the tabernacle. Now, I won't take time to go read all the verses because it's multiple chapters. But think about the tabernacle and go back for those that were, that were with me in the journey through the tabernacle we did, those multiple sermons that I brought with the pictures and things uh, from, from the tabernacle in the wilderness. This would cover Exodus 25 to 27. You see Christ in the tabernacle. Why? Because Christ is greater than the tabernacle. I want you to look at Matthew chapter number 12. Matthew chapter number 12. Again, we're looking for pictures of Jesus in Exodus. Matthew chapter number 12 and verse number 6. Jesus, again these are red letters in my Bible. But I say unto you that in this place, in what place? The temple of his day. In this place is one greater than the temple. Jesus Christ <coughs> is greater than the temple. What pictures do we see? In Exodus of our Savior, the Passover lamb, the manna, the bread from heaven, the water from the rock, the tabernacle, a picture of our Savior because he's greater than the tabernacle. Two more, Exodus describes for us the high priest. Again, I'm not going to take time to go through all of Exodus covers in this. You'll see this in chapter 31, you'll see this in chapter 29, but Exodus gives us a detailed account of the high priest. Remember going through the tabernacle, I showed you a picture of the high priest wearing his ephod and the mitre and the whole nine yards and he would go in and do the administration of the tabernacle in his day. And so we have that description in Exodus chapter 31, verse 10. Exodus chapter 29 of the high priest. But if we go over to Hebrews chapter number 4, I see what this is a picture of. Remember, the, the things in the tabernacle were patterns of things in the heavens that had to be cleansed and purged. So what are those things in the heavens? Well, we turn to Hebrews and we find we have a great high priest who is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What pictures do we have in Exodus of the Lord Jesus Christ? Again, we have him in the Passover lamb. We have him in the manna that came from heaven, the water that flowed from the rock, the tabernacle itself, the picture of the high priest. One more for you and I'm done. Exodus describes the glory of the Lord that dwelt with his people Israel. The glory is seen. The Shekinah was in the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. The Shekinah glory was seen to rest 
between the wings of the cherubim on the cover, on the lid of that Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat of God. And Exodus describes the glory of God. Turn to Exodus chapter 40. Exodus chapter number 40. And read with me beginning in verse 34. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation. And what filled the tabernacle? The glory of Jehovah. The Shekinah is the Hebrew word. The glory filled. That's, I, I can't even imagine what that would have been. Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. When the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the children of Israel went onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud were not taken up, then they journeyed not till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle by day, and fire was on it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Every single one of those millions of Israelites could have testified to the fact that that glory was sitting right on top of that tent over there. And when it moved, it was time to go. And when it didn't move, we were staying right where we were. Everyone, millions of people, millions of people testified to that. That's powerful. That's a description of God's glory. John chapter 1. It's Christmas time. So we'll go to verse number 14. You know that verse. Many of you can probably quote that verse. John chapter 1 tells us about the beginning. In the beginning was God, and the Word was with God. God was the Word. It's the most succinct way he could say it. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. The same was in the beginning, in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not made anything that was made. He discovered the first 11 chapters of Genesis in three verses. I wish I could do that as a preacher. I'm still getting there. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the capital L light, that all men through him might what? There's that word again. <laughs> he was not that capital L light, but was sent to bear witness of that. This is what his name is, capital L light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world. Who was the capital L light? And the world was made by, he was in it, and it was made by him. What? And the world knew him not. He came into his own, and his own received him not. But to as many as received him, who? The capital L light, that person, that, that's his name. The one that we didn't even know he was here, but he came. Everything was created by him, he was here. As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that what? There's that word again. Believe on his name, which were born. You see, you believe and you're born. Born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now watch this. Watch, watch, watch. Because we talked about the glory of God in the tabernacle. What pictures do we see of Jesus in Exodus? Verse 14, read it out loud with me. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. We beheld his what? We beheld his what? We beheld his glory. We beheld his Shekinah. John says, I saw it. I saw it with my own eyes. Turn over to his letter and you'll see he got to handle it with his own hands. 
of the word of life. The incarnation of Christ that we're celebrating this Christmas season. I actually want to think he's born in the spring, but <laughs> who cares what I think? <laughs> Christmas time is when everybody says we're going to exchange gifts and have Christmas trees, and so I just do it. I don't care about it. I like it. I like it. That's fine. We'll have fun doing it. But John says we beheld his glory. What pictures do we see of Jesus? The Exodus describes his glory, the glory of God. But Christ is the glory of God incarnate. Glory of God what a book is the book of Exodus. Continuation of the story of Genesis that led us to the nation of Israel through whom Messiah will come. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The lion of the tribe of Judah, our Savior, our Passover lamb, our bread from heaven, our water of life from the rock, our picture of a greater than the tabernacle because he tabernacles with men. The word here that is in verse 14, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He tabernacled among us. He tented among us. And while he was here, we saw his glory, John says. Powerful. So, numerous places in Exodus. I think the argument is made. We see pictures of Christ. Do we not? It's clear. It's clear. We can see glimpses of Jesus throughout the book of Exodus. And I hope and pray that you've seen that. That we'll go out of here rejoicing and remembering what picture you saw tonight. Again, fresh and anew. Maybe you've seen them before, and this is just a reminder for you. What pictures? Can you stand in awe of your Savior and say, Moses? Moses wrote him all these thousands of years later. And we see Christ. Won't you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you that we see Christ in not just Exodus, all throughout the Bible. Lord, what a time just to take a, a bird's eye view glimpse of these key places where it's, it's just clear to me, Lord, we see Jesus Christ. Thank you for sending your son to come and be born of a lowly virgin who said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. May I have her heart, Lord, to, to say, Behold your servant. Here am I, Lord, send me. Your plan is so much greater than anything I could ever fathom. And as you reached out to Moses and you worked in and through him, Lord, I pray that you would work in and through my life to lead others to your glory. Through all the ups and all the downs, Lord, this life can be just an unfriendly place to be sometimes, even from God's own people who are murmuring and complaining. Lord, there's just trouble on every hand sometimes, and we need you. But Father, I pray that we would not hesitate to come and behold your glory, the glory as of the Father grace and truth, the only begotten, our Savior Jesus Christ. And Lord, if there's one that has yet to believe on him and be born by receiving Jesus Christ, I pray that through these pictures in Exodus it would become clear who he is and that they would have ears to hear and come and take of the water of life freely and find light for their soul. I pray that you'll save some through these words, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, that's our time for tonight. The word. It's been good. Went longer than I thought it would. I guess I had more to say about Exodus and the pictures of Christ there than I originally anticipated. Thank you for your kind attention. Don't forget this Saturday is our play, right? Brother Mike, we have uh, our time over at Northside.
So we'll see you over there at Starbucks.